Let me break the bread of life with you today. I'm going to serve up some food for you. Jesus three times told Peter the duty of a local pastor. He told him very plainly, very openly, very straightforward. Feed my people. Feed my people. The, the primary, number one, duty of a local pastor is not administration, though that is a part of it. It's, it's not a lot of the other things that want to take your attention away. It is spending time with God and sharing what God gives that pastor with his people. Food. There are restaurants in our area that you have to call in to get in because they have a waiting list. Then there are many restaurants in our area that have no waiting list. And very few customers want to come in. There's, and you could really only summarize it by one thing. The food. It's the food. Why do you go to a restaurant? The food. Now, there's a little bit of maybe atmosphere, you know, that'll take you in and out. I mean, there was places I went to Key West and Marathon that I liked because of the atmosphere. But the food wasn't any good. You weren't going to keep coming. And so I realized early on as a preacher that I had to spend time with God or I was not going to give you the food that you wanted and were needed, really, and you wouldn't be able to survive on and do well on. And so what I've told Thomas and what I've told Chris is their primary objective is to know God and then share that with the people. I appreciate both Thomas and Chris. I wish the best for Chris and his vacation. I hope he has the time off. I appreciate him coming back last Sunday and preaching. He did not have to do that, and I did not ask him to do that in case you are mad at me about that. I didn't do it. He had such a noble spirit about me. He said, I, pre I heard you were a sick preacher, and I I'm willing to come off vacation and preach. I said, okay. It didn't take me long to say, okay. And, and for Thomas, it was like, yeah. Amen. We have good people in here who can preach. Bob Miller's a good preacher. Paul Chilson's a good preacher. Tom Crichton's a good preacher. Uh, we have people that can preach here to gospel, beside me, for sure. I want to talk to you about the seven Beatitudes of the book of Revelation. The seven Beatitudes of the book of Revelation. I've never preached on this. The longer I study the Bible, the more amazed I become at this book. Most of us are familiar in fact, the most familiar place in the New Testament, maybe in the whole Bible, is Matthew chapter 5, verses 3 through 11. Matthew chapter 5, verse 3 through 11. Uh, people that aren't born again, they don't know Christ their Savior, still like that passage. Uh, it's been going all over the world, it's, uh, whether they're liberal, moderate, or conservative, or fundamental. Uh, the Beatitudes are well known. Uh, people are familiar with it. Liberal folks who really don't believe the Bible will hold to these Beatitudes of Jesus. But they're not the only Beatitudes found in the Bible. Uh, the word Beatitude means supreme blessedness. Now keep that in mind when I use the word Beatitude. It's not a word you normally hear a lot. It means supreme blessedness. And so let me go over some of the, the ones I talked about there in Matthew chapter 5 are simply this. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. 
Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers. That's not who we are. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you. Falsely, that's the key word, for my sake. And every one of those blessed is supreme blessed. Supremely blessed if you're poor in spirit, you mourn, you're meek, you do hunger and thirst, you're merciful, pure in heart, peacemaker, persecuted for righteousness and when people speak bad about you for being a Christian. This is no doubt one of the most well-known areas of Scripture. It's been called, by the way, the principles of the kingdom of God. The principles of the kingdom of God. Now, you cannot be saved and go to heaven by keeping those. I just want you to know that. You can only keep those if you're born by the grace of God through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. That's the only way and the only hope you have of ever keeping or coming close to keeping those blessings or beatitudes. You must be saved first. Nobody goes to heaven because of good works, amen? We pound on that at gospel because when you go door to door, nine out of ten people you meet, and you ask them when you die, where are you going to go, heaven or hell? And they'll say, well, heaven, I hope, I think, I may. And you'll say, why would you go there? And they'll say, well, I've tried to be a good person. I've tried to pay my taxes. I've tried to do this. I've tried to do that. But that doesn't make up for the things you did wrong. Somebody has to come in and help us for the things we've done wrong. What about the things you've, you've done that you're, you'd be ashamed to have publicly spoken of this morning? The things you've thought that are so vile that you, it even makes you shudder. What about them? The blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses us from all of those things and causes us to be presented before him unreprovable, unrebukable, without blemish in his sight. Only God can do that. Because I can't undo one bad thing I've ever done. I can regret it. I can hate him. I can, but I, first of all, I can't forget him. I can't even forget him. God says eventually he's going to let me forget him. Oh, what a day that will be when I get to forget all the bad stuff I've ever done. And part of the purpose of being married is that you remember the bad things you did. If you don't believe that, just ask your wife. She'll tell you. Easy now, Bill. Easy, easy. Just kind of keeping you alive, keeping you alive. So these seven beatitudes, these uh, beatitudes, I'm not seven, but I found seven. Beatitudes in the book of Revelation, which is interesting. There are actual Beatitudes scattered throughout the whole New Testament. You can look for them as you read your Bible through. Look for that word blessed. Blessed. You'll find them. I'd pay attention to them. The first Beatitude in the book of Revelation, by the Revelation is a bookend to the Bible. There's 66 books in the Bible. You've got the book of Genesis at one bookend. You've got the book of Revelation at the other bookend. The doctrines that were started in the book of Genesis are finished in the book of Revelation. Phenomenal. 30 Five, well, 
let me just put it this way, 1,500 years apart. Written by 44 different men from different backgrounds, different education, different things. Only God could do that. You start doubting the Bible, start looking at the apologetics of the Bible, the defense of the scriptures, and you'll, you'll be excited. Get the book, Evidence that Demands a Book, a Verdict, and read it. And get the book that says more evidence that demands a verdict and read it. And by the time you get done with some of the apologetics there, you'll say, well, the Bible is a supernatural book. It's a unique book. There's no book on earth, even close. There's no holy book out there, even close to the Bible. Folks, I'm not saying that because I'm some propagandist here. I'm saying it of, a year, of 50 years of study. It is absolutely supernatural book given to us by God and preserved by God. Revelation 1.3. Blessed is he that readeth and they that hear the words of this prophecy. But that's not enough. You being here this morning and listening to me and here or going to any church and listening to the Bible sermon is not enough to get you into heaven. Hanging around Christians is a good thing, but it's not enough to get you into heaven. Some of you are going to go to hell because you thought hanging around Christianity and going to church was going to be enough. And you never personally, one-to-one, individually, came to the Lord Jesus Christ broken and contrite and mourning for your sin and ask Him to save you. Not because your mom and dad were Christian, not because your grandpa and grandpa were Christian, not because maybe your, your spouse is a Christian, but because you want to be forgiven and cleansed and brought into the body of Christ. I hope you don't miss it. God forbid you miss it. Don't do it. Blessed he that readeth and hear the words. Not everybody can read. Not everybody can hear. But one way or another, they are to keep those things which are written therein for the time is at hand. So there's an exhortation there. Blessed, supreme blessed are those who are able to Either they're going to be able to get the Word of God into them somehow, either by reading or by hearing or by Braille or by another something. You're able to get the Word of God into you. Blessed are they that, if I may say it this way, that get the Word of God into them. It doesn't, it, I, I'm, I'm glad you got a lot of Bibles at home, but it's not going to do you much good. You can have a library that's astounding. If you don't read it, it's not going to do you much good. You don't get, you don't get the Bible by sleeping like this every night. You don't get the Bible by playing Alexander Scorby before you go to sleep unless you're listening, paying attention. You got to assimilate it. The word actually keep. It's interesting behind me, one of the main verses here at the church here. It's the blessed are they that hear the word of God. That's a, by the way, that's the beatitude of Luke. And keep it. 1128 of Luke, Jesus' own words. I want you to know the specificity, and I just like that word, the accuracy of the words. Here It says that hear the words of the prophecy. This book, Book of Revelation, was written approximately 100 A.D., 100 years after the church had begun. Apostle John wrote it, was showing it by God, and he was one of the last apostles now, what's the difference between apostle and disciple? An apostle had to be taught by Jesus directly, one-to-one. 
And he had to have miracle capabilities, doing miracle capabilities. We do not have any apostles. There are only 12 apostles. There are, there, in the New Jerusalem, their names are put, I believe it's the 12 foundations have the 12, names of the 12 apostles on them. And you must say, well, who's the 12th apostle? Well, who do you think? I don't care what you think. It doesn't make any difference what I think. I believe it's going to be Paul. Because he said, I'm an apostle born out of due season. He called himself the apostle. And so I believe he's the 12th one in, in the place of Judas Iscariot, which was not even a saved man, never was saved. They betrayed Christ. And so the specificity of these words, they, they, they amaze me. The New, New International Version, NIV, uh, you know, People just love that thing. Oh, it's so easy to read, preacher. It's so easy to read. The problem is you're eating regurgitated food. If I went to the restaurant, and if they had a restaurant now locally down here at Coconut Point and say, our special today is regurgitated food. How many of you would, ain't nobody in this room going to go there. And yet you'll pick up an NIV and, and, and consume that like it's the very words of God. It's regurgitated. If you read the preface of the Bible, that if you read the preface of that book, the NIV, New International Version, it says that we, we translated this in not a word-for-word -word translation from the original from the text passed down, either received text or they probably use the Westcott and Hort text, but they didn't do that. They, they, uh, they did what they call a dynamic equivalence, which was a fancy term. They ate it, spit it up, and put it on the paper. In other words, you're reading the Bible through a scholar's eyes. You know who a scholar is, right? Somebody who agrees with you. But anyway, you're reading, you're reading it through a scholar's eyes. I don't want to read this book through somebody else's eyes. I want to read this book through my eyes. Because blessed are they that hear, blessed are they that read, and blessed are they that keep the words of this book. And you're going to be held responsible for that, whether you like it or not, it doesn't make any difference. Only God could, <coughs> only God could say that. Only God could say it. Here we are almost 2,000 years, 1,900 plus years away from the writing of that verse. And we have the very words preserved supernaturally by God in the old King James Bible. I'm not going to leave the old ancient landmarks with my forefathers have said. Who can write a letter and say, the things I write in this letter will be true 2,000 years from now. Who could write that? Who could write a letter and say the things I write in this letter will be true 100 years from now? By the way, 100 years from now, nobody in this room will be alive. You say, I'm going to live to 100. You ain't going to make it. You've been hitting McDonald's way too hard, right, Doc? I don't care how much health food you eat, you are going to die before 100 probably. More than likely die before 100. I can pretty safely say, now listen, you young people over there are the Crichton kids. These are the Crichton kids, grandkids, stuff like that. All of you in that row are going to be dead from 100 years from now. Oh, I'm, I'm young. Y'all not see death. Well, maybe the rapture of the church will happen. Maybe you won't see it if you're saved. 
But if life goes on like normal, you're all going to be gone. And some of you people will be gone in this next decade. Some of you this year. You're worried about that a little bit, huh? This is uh, one of the last time I looked. This is July. Preacher, I only got six months to live. You may have less than that. Life is a vapor. It appeared for a little while and it's gone. We never know when it's going to come by the house. But for a born-again Christian, it's a welcome thing to be able to go to heaven. I told them in the hospital, I was there four days, you can't scare me with heaven, man. I'm good. They said, are you suicidal? I said, not quite. <laughs> they want to know if you're suicidal, man. They'll band you down. Tuck in. I'm not suicidal, but if I die, don't, don't shed no tears for me. Shed tears for you. Enough can't be said on our responsibility to know God's written word. Forget this. Look, I'm for discipleship. Brother Tom Crichton and his wife doing discipleship courses, and that's perfectly good. I mean, when you have a newborn baby, you can't say to the baby, feed yourself. Right? I mean, you get a baby, and you can't say feed yourself. You got to, you got to feed the baby, right? I mean, you got to feed the baby, nurture the baby uh, tenderly and lovingly. But eventually that baby gets to where it, can, it gets to the blessed moment when they can feed themselves and, and, and they don't have to be changed and all this other stuff, and they get self-sufficient. What a day that will be when that happens. And that's the way it is for Christian walk. When you're first born again, you need somebody to help you. You need somebody to spoon feed you. But, brother, that, that has to end after a while. You'd be upset if a 12-year-old kid still was getting breastfed. You say, something's wrong with that child. You, and you'd be right. That child ought to be feeding itself. I believe we got some. I mean, I believe I've seen some. 12-year-old Christians still wanting discipleship. You're just lazy, no good, bottom-feeding lazy. You got the book, you can read or you can hear. You aren't going to stand an excuse before God. You'll not be able to say, I was too busy. Think how... Think how hollow those words will be before the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for this book and for your salvation. And, and, the, and the, think of how hollow those words will be to the men who died in, in, in writing these books and because they wrote the books and because they were associated with this book in the 15 and 1600s. Think of the people in 1300s. Think of the men who paid everything, were burned at a stake for this book. Think how hollow those words would be when you say you're too busy to read the Bible. That's good preaching. Man. I mean, I, I'm for people getting discipled, but I'm also for people discipling themselves. You read the Bible, you'll disciple yourself. The Holy Spirit of God and the Word of God will teach you what you need to know. Now, I realize you got to get to the point where you can do that, but once we get you to the point where you can do that, you are on your own. I got to a place my mom and dad said, you are on your own. Any more, Anything more than this, you're going to pay your own rent and buy your own food and buy your own clothes and buy your own transportation. I said, listen, Dad, if i got to do all that, I'm finding me a woman and getting married. And I did. She was 18, I was 19. We didn't know much. We lived on love. Is my wife in here this morning? Oh, now I'll talk about her. 
The second beatitude, I know you're worried because there's seven of these, and I'm only on number two, and it's only 20 minutes left, and say, oh, brother, I've already figured to calculate it out, 10 minutes each, 70 minutes. Oh, no, don't worry about it. The second one is found in Revelation chapter 14, verse 13. Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord. I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Right, blessed are the dead. There's that blessed. Supremely blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth. Yea, saith the Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works do follow them. Dying as a born-again Christian is a blessing. It's a promotion. Oh, death, where's your sting is gone? Oh, grave, where's your victory? It's gone. But thanks be to God which giveth us the victory in the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not saying death isn't gruesome. It's not gruesome, but in some strange way, it's beautiful because it releases the eternal soul, the born-again Christian I'm talking about now. It releases their eternal soul trapped in this corruptible body being released to the incorruptible, trapped in the mortal being released in the immortality, trapped in the horror of this world and sin and degradation and being released to the glory of heaven. You're not going to convince me that's a bad thing. Now, for unsaved people, ooh, you don't want to die. Blessed are they who die in the Lord. Number three, blessed, well, let's read it. Revelation 16, 15. Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. The outcome of eternal future is in some degree in your hands. Now, if you're a Calvinist, you're going to disagree with me, but you have the right to be wrong. Because I'll go to the Bible every time and show you wrong. Calvinism is fatalism. It's like you have no decision-making. God's doing everything, predetermined, pre-electing, preordaining. You're not going to have any. Brother, that's not what I read in the New Testament. It is just not there. Part of the New Testament you're able to make a case from. But if you read the whole New Testament, the balance is God has done his part, and now we are to do our part. It is a joint airship together. We believe. He's provided salvation. I believed. Amen? Well, I go, I can't, I got to keep moving. Let us see that watcheth and keepeth these garments. What's that all about? Well, watcheth is a warning. It's like be seriously planned, uh, disciplined, sober, life for Christ. The word garment is your works. It's the works that you've had in this life for Christ. Well, let me read it in Revelation chapter 9, verse 8. The Bible defines itself most of the time. And to her it was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen. That's a church. That she should be arrayed in fine linen. That's verse 9, chapter 19, verse 8. Clean and white. For the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. The Bible defines itself. So what are the garments he's talking about there in that verse? He's talking about your, your works that you did in Christ. 
Once we get saved, we don't. Listen, you can't work enough to be saved, but if you're saved by grace through faith, then you are to work like a crazy man. Work, 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 for the night is coming which no man can work. We're to get, we're to get serious about And You want to be in a bus ministry. You want to be door to door. You want to be out there passing gospel tracts out. You want to be reading your Bible. You want to be coming to church and getting the preaching of the Bible. You want to be getting everything available to you, and you want to be spreading it. Uh, go to the world and preach the gospel to every creature is, is the prime directive of the local church. We're to be out and about, busy as beavers. Number four, found in, blessed are they that are called the marriage supper of the Lamb, Revelation chapter 19, verse 9. Blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he saith to me, these are the true saints of God. I'm getting happy. I'm getting happy. This stuff's just getting me, this is getting me happy. By the way, this is invitation only. Not everybody's going to get invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Are you? You say, I don't know, preacher. Yes, you do. Are you born from above? Do you know Christ is your personal Savior? Can you go to the Bible and show it to me? For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. I can show it to you, preacher. John 3, 16. Well, you're going to get an invitation. Ooh, I'm going to get an invitation. An invitation from God. As part of His body, which He is the head, I'm going to get an invitation to a special supper called the Marriage Supper of the Lamb. How many here like to eat? Don't, don't, don't lie. Some of you like to eat more than others. But we all like to eat. Eating is what keeps us alive. But eating, isn't it interesting that God made eating pleasurable? Eating is not a duty until you had COVID. I had COVID, lost my smell two years ago. And I had COVID again a year ago. And I still have a very little to no smell. And food is just a mundane thing now for me. It's something I need to do or have to do. But I keep trying to force myself to do it. I eat a ribeye and imagine what it tasted like. <clears throat> but when I used to have a really good smell, and food's about smell. I never realized how much food is about smell. <clears throat> I used to love it when my mother would get up and start cooking bacon. You remember they do that at the house? They cook bacon at the house in the morning. There's nothing to wake up to any better, doctor, than fried bacon. <laughs> fried bacon. I'm surprised you come to church at all after I run a while. Fried bacon. Oh, it's the smell of heaven. Oh, you say, where'd you get that, preacher? Well, in the Old Testament during the temple, they burnt the fat for the Lord. And what was they burning the fat for? Because when you burn fat, it smells good. What do you think makes bacon smell good? It's not the meat. It's the fat that's burning in there. And that's why they fry it. They get rid of all the fat and then eat that meat. You give that meat to the dogs, I want the fat. I want to, my mother used to take that fat out of that old steel pan and pour that in there. And when she would fry noodles and stuff, she'd pour that grease back in that noodles. And she, we, had, we had fat for everything. Oh, that's bad for you. I'm here. My brother's 80. My other brother's 75. We all ate fat like crazy. Abused every diet in the book. 
No brag, just fact. Blessed are they that are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. You never ate any food as good as the old marriage supper of the Lamb. If you were married to Aunt Jemima, you didn't eat as good as the food you are going to eat as you were called to the marriage of the Lamb. You never ate food like you ate when you eat with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. All the troubles that you had in this life, and I don't doubt you've had some serious, serious bad troubles, but all those troubles are going to fade away. They're all going to fade away. I don't care how bad you've had it. I've heard some, I've heard some wild, bad stories of life. That's going to fade away as you sit there. Imagine some angel saying, uh, uh, C.W. Charlie Gilbert, right? Yes, sir. And you know how to obey orders. And so he's going to come up to you, and Charlie, he's going to say, he's going to say you come with me. And you're going to follow that, that uh, angel, and he's going to say, Charlie, right here is your seat right over here. Now, Jayla, she's set up by the king. <laughs> but Tom and I... And you are all going to be sitting in that by the edge of the darkness there, but it's still going to be heaven. And Jama and Jayla and all those wonderful women, they're going to done right. And God bless your soul. My wife, don't say amen, amen. I'm glad you didn't. But you never ate like you're going to, like you're going to eat there. There's no calories counting there, no slim fast there. Uh, everything you eat is going to be just right. It's going to be just right. Number five, found in Revelation chapter 20, verse 6. Blessed is the whole, oh, let me read it. 26, blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. What? Well, on such the second death had no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. You know, I can predict your future. I can predict your future. So in that way, I'm a prophet. Because there's certain things in the Bible that say if you're a born-again believer, you're going to get to be a participant of, and that's going to be your future. You born-again believer is going to get to go to the marriage supper of the Lamb. You've never been to a, a, a spread like that. Uh, you born-again believers are not going to taste... You're not even going to see death. He that liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? That's Jesus' question. Believest thou this? You believe that? I believe it. Help, Lord, my unbelief. But I believe it. You say, brother, aren't you going to die? He's not talking about physical death. He says, the words I speak unto you are spirit and are life. John 6, 63. They're not physical things he's talking about. He was talking to Nicodemus. He's trying to tell Nicodemus the spiritual things. Nicodemus is thinking about being born twice out of his mother's womb. He said, no. It is physical born, it's physical. They're spiritual, spiritual. Nicodemus, you've got to be born spiritually. <clears throat> Second death has no power. They should be priests of God. Okay, the first resurrection. Let me try to clear something up, a little teaching here. The first resurrection is not a numerical number. It's not one, two, three, four, five, six. That's numerical. The first resurrection 
is a kind of resurrection. The first resurrection does not mean one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. The first resurrection simply means the born again people get their first resurrection. The righteous folks in God get the first resurrection. The people that are lost succumb to the second death. They're resurrected, but then they're cast into a place called the lake of fire, which is the second death. So you want to make sure this morning that you're part of the first resurrection. You say, well, how many, well, there was a partial resurrection when Jesus was resurrected. There was a resurrection in that area. It may have been worldwide. Don't know for sure. It's, it's, it's just strange. It was a, it was some people that got resurrected in the area of Jerusalem. Now, we know that from the Bible. Called the first fruit. If you go back in the Old Testament and see the first fruits offering, when they went to the temple, they didn't take all the fruit that they had picked out of their orchard and give it to God. They took a portion of that, of that fruit and offered it to God. It was called the first fruits offering. And when Jesus was raised from the dead, I believe that group of people that was resurrected around Jerusalem there was a, a sort of first fruits of Christ's resurrection. And I've read a lot about it. That's, that seems to be normally understood. So it was a partial, they call it a partial resurrection when Jesus was resurrected. Then there was, a res, there was going to be a resurrection at the rapture. Going to be a resurrection then. Then there's going to be a resurrection at the end of the tribulation of born-again people, saved people. Then there's going to be a resurrection at the end of the millennium, though there's nothing mentioned in the Bible that there is going to be. There has to be of those that were saved during the millennial period that are mortal. They'll have to be resurrected. So it's, it's understood by theologians that there are at least four first resurrection resurrections. Now, have I confused you yet? But you want to be part of the first resurrection. Don't you let anybody, don't you let some charlatan on TV, don't you let some hypocrite in a church, don't you let some lying dog that says they're born again and, and, and doing wickedly uh, and, and professing to know God but really don't know him, don't you, don't you get mad at God for hypocrites. Don't you let a hypocrite cheat you out of the first resurrection. Don't you let, don't you let anything, anything cheat you or detour you out of getting your soul right with God, one-to-one -one and staying in that position, uh, listening and, and hearing the Word of God and reading the Word of God, and as is behind me, keeping the Word of God by His Holy Spirit's power, not in the works of the flesh, but in the works of the Spirit, keeping those things which God has laid before you to do. There's 127 specific commands in the New Testament. You say, Brother Bill, I don't know then. That's because you haven't read it. You've got to read it to know it. 127 commands. You're going to be held responsible for them. Got to read it. Number six, blessed are they that keep the sayings of the prophecy of this book. This is a re repeat. Chapter 22, verse 7. Well, I come quickly, blessed is he that keepeth the sayings of the prophecy of this book. That's actually a repeated statement. And I know one thing about the Bible, when it says it once, it's, it's, it's eternal and solid. When it says it twice, you better really lift your head up. So it said, blessed are they that keepeth the sayings of the prophecy of this book. Speaking of the book of Revelation, by the way, specifically, with the whole Bible generally, it's an exhortation. 
How are you doing this morning? How are you doing? How are you doing about keeping God's word? Are you, are you treating it casually? Are you treating it half-heartedly? Or are you all in? I am really paying attention to the things that God has written. I am reviewing them in my mind. I am washing my, myself with the water of the word on a regular basis. And I'm going to say, it's not what the preacher does. It's not what the deacons do. It's not what gospel baptist does. It's what the Bible tells you to do. And God will be with you through it. He'll help you through it. Then the seventh one, you find in Revelation 22, 14. Blessed are they that do his commandments, that he may have the, have the, may have the right to the tree of life, and may enter in through the gates into the city. Again, I go back to this is a shared responsibility. Look at the verse. Blessed are they that do his commandments, that they may have the right to the tree of life. Now, it's not, it's not saved by works, but it's, it's saved people work. Saved people want to obey God. Saved people have a degree. Now, you say, if some people don't do well as they're saved, that's right. In the book of Corinthians chapter 3, it talks about the uh, beam of seed of Christ. Every man's work should be made manifest for the day, should declare it, for it should be revealed by fire, and the fire should try every man's work of what quality or sort it is. If any man's work abide, he shall receive reward. If any man's work be burned, he shall suffer loss. If you're born again, what's it going to be for you? Are you going to sing, wasted years, wasted years, oh, how foolish. That's what the suffer loss will be. Think about you. Picture this in your mind. You're standing before the, the beam of seed of Christ with the hosts of heaven around you, and you've been singled out, and God comes for you, and he takes all the works that you've done after you've been saved, after you've been saved, and he takes them and he puts them in an area, and the Bible says, uh, the, the fire of God's judgment, his discerning, goes through those things that you claim. And only the things that are real and the things that are eternal and the things that were biblical will be left. They're compared to gold, silver, and precious stones. And those that are burned up are compared to hay, wood, and stubble. As all your, some people, are, the Bible says their works are going to all be burned up a whole lifetime. You're going to be standing there in an eternal position with an eternal body knowing that this is never going to be, there's never going to be an end. And you're going you're gonna to beat yourself up for messing around with God. You are going to be the hardest person, the, on you, the hardest person will be you on yourself. Won't be the preacher there. He's not there to say anything. Won't be anybody else that's exhorted you. It'll be your own conscience. And God's own judgment right in front of you. Now, I'm here as a voice from God before that happens to give you a heads up. And you'll not be able to say, nobody warned me. You won't be able to say it. You may forget this service, but God will bring it back to you. God will bring it back to your mind. We're to have repentance towards God and faith through our Lord Jesus Christ, Acts 20, 21. Will you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ this morning and be saved? Oh, I hope you do. Will you believe that salvation is by grace through simple childlike faith in him? I believe, I believe, I hope you do. Then you can be empowered 
to do the things of God as he's commanded us to do and to complete these seven supreme blessedness statements in the book of Revelation. Father, help us this morning. Thank you for the word of God. Thank you for the Bible, the Holy Spirit. The older I get in the Lord, the better this thing's getting. The more rich, the more deep, the more sweet the Christian life becomes. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Help us all in this room to end well. Help us to be hard on ourselves. It's been said if you're hard on yourselves, others don't need to be hard on you. Be hard on yourself. Make, make, make yourself a schedule. Make a schedule to read the Bible. Make a schedule to hear the Bible, listen to the Bible. Make a schedule to memorize Scripture. Make a schedule to go to church. Make a schedule to hear the preaching of the Bible. Make it primary in your life. Don't let work push it out. Don't let anything else push it out because there's nothing in this life more important. God, help us see it today. Open the minds and the eyes of the people who hear this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You come. If you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website, gospelbaptistchurch.com, or you can go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church Bonita Springs, Florida. Also, you could call the church office at 239-947-1285. Thank you, and God bless.